This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Morning, everybody. Please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're in a series on 1 Peter. This morning we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3, reading verses and looking at verses 13 down through 17. 1 Peter chapter 3. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. What a joy to be together. Thanks for joining us on the live stream. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. This is God's Word, God's inspired Word, inerrant Word. It has authority in our lives. What a gift to us it is. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Lord, bless your word to our congregation this morning. Peter wants us to have confidence that we'll be blessed when we suffer for living for Christ. He wants us to be confident in God's promises to be with us, to bless us even when we suffer for righteousness' sake. Verse 17 says, if that should be God's will. There are times when we are zealous to do what is good, and yet it is God's will. He is in control, and sometimes it's His will that we are mistreated because we treasure Christ. Abraham Lincoln died the day before Easter in 1865. He was assassinated. Grief for the president spread across the country. And meetings were called all throughout the United States and cities across the country. And people spoke to honor him. In Rochester, New York, the mayor called a meeting in the city hall. He invited three of their leading citizens 
to speak in appreciation for Abraham Lincoln. Frederick Douglass came to the meeting and he sat towards the back of the auditorium and after all the other speakers had given their eulogy, Douglas was asked to speak just by the people there. He was a former slave who had escaped and he spent the remainder of his life fighting for social justice for black Americans. He was one of the most sought after speakers in America. He walked to the podium, gave a spontaneous eulogy, imagine. His focus was on the words of Lincoln's greatest speech, his second inaugural address. He quoted it from memory, two sentences. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another, drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, a reference to Scripture, so still must it be said that the judgments of the Lord are righteous altogether. Douglas said that those memorable words, words which he said will live immortal in history, will be read with increasing admiration from age to age. The day after his death was Easter Sunday and hundreds of preachers tried to define his life and in their sermons they interpreted the president's death as a sacrifice for the nation's sins. They declared him the, the Civil War's final casualty. When Lincoln wrote that speech, where did he learn about the purposes of God? Where did he learn about God's will? About the judgments of the Lord being righteous in light of all that was going on in the Civil War? Where did he learn the essence of these words that Frederick Douglass called so memorable and immortal? Well, the, the same place we all learn the most important things, from his pastor. <laughs> Phineas Gurley. Lincoln attended New York Avenue Presbyterian Church where Gurley pastored. They started going there in 1861, looked for a church. He wanted a church, he said, whose clergyman holds himself aloof from politics. He said he liked Gurley because he doesn't preach politics and I get enough of that through the week. <laughs> Many times he heard him preach and Gurley would highlight the providence of God because he went to one of the most reformed, one of the best reformed seminaries in history, Princeton Seminary in the 19th century. It's changed a bit since then. One of the professors was Charles Hodge, who wrote a three-volume systematic theology that Jerry Bridges recommended to me. And in it, he talks about the providence of God. He says, an infinitely wise, good, and powerful God is everywhere present, controlling all events, great and small, necessary and free, in a way perfectly consistent with the nature of his creatures and his own infinite excellence. That's a mouthful, I understand. 
But Gurley understood this, and he was a winsome preacher. And he would, he would bring together God's divine power and man's accountability and responsibility in a biblical way. And Lincoln agreed with him and learned and was educated. Lincoln heard him preach a sermon in August 1863 from the verse that Monica cited this morning as she shared prophetically with us. Proverbs 16.9, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's what Lincoln was taught. And he had a biblical worldview. And as he tried to interpret the Civil War, he shared this. Sometimes it's God's will that there be great suffering. But he always accomplishes his purposes. And he always brings about good. These men, Lincoln and Douglas, were wise. And they would encourage us with the truth that they shared to have confidence that even like the Civil War, good can come out of great suffering. Peter's telling us this morning, he was telling his readers, and we're learning through God's word this morning in our text, that when we are in the midst of a hostile world, we're going to suffer. That's why we're studying 1 Peter. Because we want to prepare ourselves to live amidst those who reject Christ. This is now the main section of 1 Peter. And he's turning his attention to the primary reason he's writing. And so we don't want to miss this. He wrote to instruct and comfort these members of, their church, of these churches who were suffering because of their faith. And he wants to strengthen them. He wants to give them confidence. He wants to impart courage. I think that's what the Lord wants to do for us today. Because of what looms ahead. There's a lot in these verses. And we'll concern ourselves with three points in particular that he makes to his original audience. And I think we should apply in our lives. Number one. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. So, the Lord is calling us this morning to remember to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In your heart, the center of your being, honor Christ the Lord as holy. With your whole life, honor Christ the Lord as as holy. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and they used the disciples used to hear him pray. And they at one point they were listening to him pray, and they wanted to pray like that. They wanted to have that kind of prayer life, and they, they asked him, Teach us to pray. And he did. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer. This is how the prayer begins: Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. It's the exact same word used here in verse 15. Jesus' first priority was the name of his heavenly Father and our heavenly Father. That was number one. So as you look to this week, what are your priorities? What are our priorities? Number one, is the name of our heavenly 
Father. Hallowed be His name. Same word used in verse 15. Literally, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Hallow Christ as Lord in your hearts. He is God the Son incarnate. Come in the flesh. He is God with us. He and the Father are one. When we honor Christ, we honor our Father in heaven. We hallow Him. Our first priority is to honor Christ the Lord as holy. We're to regard Him as the holiest being in the universe. We're to pray that He will be regarded as holy, set apart, unique, None greater than him in our church, in our lives. Our first prayer should be, Lord, let those who encounter our congregation, let them be made aware of how great you are, how holy you are, how unique you are. Let you be honored as holy in our church. Amen. And so, may we cherish him. May we admire him. May we honor him. We're being called to that today. There's none greater than him. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Lord, may it be in our congregation. It was such a joy to do the baptism, not, not just because of my granddaughter, but primarily because of my granddaughter. But it... Baptism services are so edifying because these individuals are, are making a public statement. He's my living hope. And that, that's what we want to do. That's what they're doing this morning. They are honoring Christ the Lord as holy. And they are being baptized to say I've been raised to new life with Him. Amen. Another point. He's making. Do not fear man. Do not fear man. I don't think you can do number one without doing number two. Verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Remember the context? We're just coming out of a quote from Psalm 34. Peter had said, do you want the good life? Do you want the happy life? Well, the recipe for a happy life is the fear of God that David taught in Psalm 34. So Peter quotes it in 1 Peter in his letter to these churches. If you want the good life, if you want the happy life, the recipe for that begins with the fear of the Lord. And coming right out of that, now he says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good, because a life lived in the fear of the Lord is a life doing good. And so who's going to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But then in verse 14 he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, for doing good, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. It's like we have this choice. You can either fear them or you can honor Christ. 
And Peter says, you have nothing to fear. And not fearing what people think honors Christ as Lord. It becomes obvious you're, you have this living hope and it's solid, it's firm, it's unshakable. It's a testimony to the truth of who Christ is when we don't fear man. You can't live for the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, and crave the approval of man. You can't honor Christ as Lord and crave the approval of man. You can't crave popularity. When I first came to Christ, I was 17 years old. At the time, it was really important to me to have friends be included. When God caused me to be born again, I lost these friends almost immediately. I remember one friend said to me, I liked you better when you were drunk every weekend. Another friend said to me, I'm going to use my, he didn't say it in these words, but this is what he meant. I'm going to use every ounce of my influence to draw you away from Christ. Thankfully, the man who led me to Christ could care less about what people thought. It, it's hard to picture someone who could care less than that man cared. He's gone to be with the Lord, but he was just the man I needed. And then Bob Dylan, theologian Bob Dylan, wrote me a song. You have to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve? Don't harbor the illusion that you can honor Christ as Lord and gain the approval of man. That's what Peter is telling us. So, verse 13, who's, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? You would, you would think, you see, naturally, if I do what is good, I'll get kudos. I'll get slapped on the back, right? You don't typically think, if I, if I, if I do good, people are going to oppose me. No, people are going to encourage me. That's natural. And what First Peter helps us learn or be reminded of, of, is this bizarre fact that actually, when you're zealous for doing good, you get harmed. The sad truth is, sometimes when you do good, you nevertheless suffer. Verse 14, you may suffer for righteousness sake. Verse 16, you may be slandered and insulted. For good behavior, you may, verse 17, suffer for doing good. Peter knows that Jesus taught his disciples that they should expect this. And from his own experience, he knows this. And his understanding of the spiritual war we're in and of the sinfulness of human nature. He understands you're going to suffer for righteousness sake. You're going to suffer. And he's writing to prepare them. And isn't it good we have First Peter today? Because the Lord wants to prepare us. Get ready. If you think it's going to be like Sunday school class, when every time you did good, you got a star, you are mistaken. It's not going to be like that. Who is there to harm you? He's talking about evil. Evil is at the root of this kind of suffering. Because of evil, believers can expect to be mistreated when they're zealous to do good. Expect it, Peter says. Hold your applause, please. 
Normally, we, we just wouldn't think someone would harm us when we're zealous to do good. But Peter's readers, his original audience, they're already experiencing this kind of mistreatment. And more is coming. That's what he's telling them. Expect it. Now, now ultimately, we can never be harmed. Our, our heavenly Father is all-powerful. Part of the message here is, ultimately, you can't be harmed. Everything's going to be for your good. So in one sense, no one can harm you. The answer to the question, who is there to harm you? No one. No one can overpower God's good purposes for me. We sang about it this morning. But at the same time, Peter, you can see, he's going back and forth. Believers should expect to be mistreated, to be disliked, get ready, to be hated, to suffer for doing good, to, to be harmed. Who is there to harm you? People who oppose Christ. They're out there. And Peter is saying, don't be afraid of them. Don't, and don't be surprised. Be prepared. That's what this text is about. Even if, verse 14, you should suffer for righteousness, here's the promise. You will be blessed. So some of you may have suffered for righteousness sake this week. Could be with your family. Could be with your neighbors. It's not unusual now. It's, it's come, more is coming. It's not unusual. There's a promise right here. When you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. That's a promise. And I would hold on to it. Sometimes you're doing good. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be suffering harm. You shouldn't be harmed for doing good, but you will be. You will be harmed. When you are, just know the Lord will bless you. Jesus said, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. For Christ's sake, when you are falsely accused, when you are opposed, when you are slandered, when there are evil reports made about you, Jesus said, you're, you're going to be blessed. That's, a, that's his promise. And Peter's repeating it. You will be blessed. And he's experienced that. Every year I go on two personal retreats for the purpose of prayer, planning, getting my soul happy in Jesus, fighting for joy in Christ. It's a re responsibility that I have as part of my job. The pastoral team expects me to do this. My wife pushes me out the door. But I've often had my friends poke fun at me about this. Like, oh, it must be nice. That's a nice job. You've got to take a personal retreat. I always respond by saying, you couldn't do it. <laughs> Try it. Try two nights, three days. No television. You're reading, you're studying, you're planning, you're praying. You couldn't, you wouldn't last 24 hours. <laughs> they always get real quiet. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Done right. Personal retreats aren't vacations. They're refreshing. They're good for your soul, but they're spiritual work. Once I, I was slandered on social media by someone who gave an evil report about me and how I used these retreats. The, the person said the church paid for these retreats, but I would use them to go fly fishing. I'm, I love to fly fish for trout. Actually, for anything. <laughs> So they said I was using these retreats publicly, an evil report, and I was using these retreats to, you know, personal retreat and just going fishing. This is not true. That's not true. I have never one time in my life gone fishing when I was on a personal retreat. I actually early on thought, you know what, I'll bring my fly fishing stuff because I'm often in the mountains near trout. I can hear them calling my name. And I thought, I thought early on, I thought I'll take my fly fishing stuff and then when the retreat is over, I'll be in the mountains, save some gas and I'll just go fishing. Nothing wrong with that. Do you know what I thought? If that fly rod's in my truck, that personal retreat may not go so well. And I've never one time even taken a fly rod on a personal retreat. It was, it was slander. Now, I know many of you have suffered much worse than that. I know you have. I've heard it. But I, I felt harmed by that. I ain't over it yet, to be honest with you. <laughs> One Peter is preparing us for this kind of stuff. Where you're doing good. But you're being insulted and reviled. And evil reports are being made about you. You should expect that if you're honoring Christ as Lord in your heart. Get ready. That's going to happen to you. Those in the churches Peter was writing to were being opposed. They were being misrepresented. They were being slandered, insulted, threatened, bullied. And we should not think it's going to be different for us. And why? Because of their, verse 16, good behavior in Christ. That's the kicker. In Christ. That's what isn't liked. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not people. We, we wrestle against spiritual powers and they hate Christ. And if you set up Christ to honor him in your heart, you're going to be opposed. Expect a war. And Peter says, but don't be afraid. Do not fear man. Ultimately, they cannot harm you. And even in the midst of doing their worst, the Lord will bless you. Do not fear man. Keep honoring Christ as Lord. Verse 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 16, keep your behavior good. Keep a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. A third point that he makes, 
And probably the most famous point from this text is defend your hope. And that's what I want to concentrate on in the remaining few hours that we have. (laughs) Verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So from a heart that honors Christ comes this readiness to explain to unbelievers, to explain to enemies and opponents, to defend your hope. This is why I honor Christ. Now, now, I just want to say, it seems to me today that Christians are fighting a lot of wrong battles. They're just fighting. But they're fighting over the wrong issues. This is the mountain to die on. And it's important that you choose your battles wisely. We as a congregation, we as individuals, you're you're using your energies on the wrong mountain. One more Civil War illustration for you. One of the battles of Chattanooga, one of the Union generals, William Tecumseh Sherman, took the wrong hill. He was supposed to take, if you've ever been to Chattanooga, which is just a wonderful place to study Civil War, right where Missionary Ridge, you've probably heard of, at the end of it was, on the north end was Tunnel Hill. Sherman was supposed to Fight on that mountain. He was supposed to capture Tunnel Hill. He thought he was successful. But he captured the wrong hill. He captured Billy Goat Hill. Which allowed the Confederates to just walk over to Tunnel Hill, which was the high ground. It was a major mistake. It caused confusion. It injured the Union cause. Sherman was accused of incompetence and negligence. In war, you want to make sure you die on the right mountain. Go get the mountain, but make sure it's the right one. It's good to die for the mountain, but don't don't go get Billy Goat Hill. Don't die on Billy Goat Hill. This is the mountain we want to die on. We want to die defending our living hope. That's what we want to fight for. Because Christ is our hope. And so when we are fighting for, on this mountain, we're fighting for Christ. That's, that's where we want to fight. This day and age where this congregation is today, this community, this nation, this culture, the air we breathe, this is what we need to be able to do. Defend our living hope. Always, verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense. It's good to just ask yourself this morning, if someone asks me, can I defend my hope? And how would I do it? 
Make a defense. Literally, be prepared for an apology. It's where we get the word apologetics. It's just a fancy word talking about defending your living hope. Being a witness. Some friends gave me mama bear apologetics. One of the writers says, culture's Lies are like weeds. They, they want to take over the garden of our children's minds. The lies need to be stopped. And they stop with you, Mama Bear. Now, I'll tell you about this book. One of the things, it's all about mothers. And I am all about mothers. So I really like that about this, this book. But I, th- I think this, this book is kind of very good when it comes to Defending lies and and defending the hope that we have. It's got some really important and relevant stuff in it. And it's easy to understand. Afraid that apologetics isn't your cup of tea? That's totally fine. Don't read this book for yourself. Read it for no other reason than you need to know what the world is telling your kids the eight plus hours a day that they are away from you. Assuming you send them to a school. Read it so that you can recognize the lies and help your little bears to recognize them too. So mama bear, apologetics. The only thing I would disagree with is I don't think Peter would say, afraid apologetics isn't your cup of tea, that's totally fine. I'm not picking that up in the text. I don't think that's totally fine. Not your cup of tea, too bad. Too bad, Mama Bear. Not your cup of tea. Peter says, be prepared. Never unprepared. Never unwilling. Never timid. It's what one commentator said about this text. Never unprepared. Never unwilling. Never timid. Not your cup of tea. Too bad. It's not totally fine. We need to defend the living hope we have. We've got to be prepared to defend our hope. Christ is honored when we give a reason because he's our hope. Verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone, anyone who asks you. Be ready to defend your living hope. Give a reason. A a well-defended hope honors the Lord. Listen to this. This is a well-defended hope. John Piper. On the far side of reality, so to speak, there was a 50-50 possibility that the original reality was a person rather than a gas. Just think of it. Since whatever originally was has always existed... There are absolutely no causes that could have disposed that original reality to be a gas rather than a person. Every reasonable person must admit that. From the far side of past eternity, it was, you might say, a toss-up. Maybe some undefined stuff would exist or maybe a person. Okay, admitting the reasonable possibility that ultimate reality could be personal has a way of freeing you to consider subsequent evidence more openly. 
my own inescapable inference from the order of the universe and the existence of human personhood and the universal sense of conscience, my own inference from all this is that ultimate reality is not impersonal, but is indeed a person. I, I simply find it impossible to believe that the human drama of the centuries with its quest for meaning and beauty and truth has no deeper root than molecular mutations. <laughs> Anybody want to take Dr. Piper on? That's a well-defended hope. And it honors Christ. Most, most people today, they really haven't, I don't think, given their worldview a lot of thought like that. So a lot of them are just going along with the crowd and they haven't really thought about it. Dr. Piper's thought about it. And as you follow his thought, any reasonable person goes, well, he does seem to have a point. So it's not that there's a lot of evidence against belief in God or creation or Christ as much as just haven't thought about it. We want to do this, Peter says in verse 15 and 16, with gentleness, with respect, and with a clear conscience. In other words, your conscience is a gift from God. It's a priceless gift. It's like you're, you're a moral creature who makes moral judgments and your conscience makes moral judgments about you. Are you a liar? Are you walking in integrity? That's what Peter's after. Be a person who walks in integrity. Doesn't mean you never sin. It just, it means you're, you're honest. It does mean your life gives evidence that you've been born again. It does mean that when you do sin, you ask forgiveness and your conscience is clean. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So with a good, defend your hope with gentleness and respect, which we've seen characterizes believer's life, doesn't it? In the church, outside of the church. And so when you're defending your hope, do it with the same way you live, with gentleness, with respect for the other people, and with a clean conscience. So that when they slander you and they will slander you, they're wrong. So it's not true. So it matters how we defend our, ourselves. Be confident that you're going to be blessed when you suffer for Christ. Let's conclude with verse 17. It's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Sometimes in God's providence, you're going to suffer. You're going to be harmed. You're going to have evil reports. Who knows what it's going to look like? Maybe it'll be on the job and people will lie about you and you won't get a position. That is not unusual these days, is it? You're just going to have people team up against you politically in the sense that your politics are Christ. And so the whole office is against you. Sometimes in God's providence, the righteous suffer. Sometimes 
It's God's will. It's, it's not the usual will of God. It's the unusual will of God. But it does happen. And when it does, it's safely in God's providence. And his judgments are righteous and good. And he has promised that all of this will work for your good. And when you suffer like this for righteousness sake, you will never find yourself more close, have deeper fellowship with Christ than at that moment. He will draw near to you in a unique and special way. He will be at work in that situation, causing everything to work together for your good. You will be blessed when you are harmed, when you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. That's the clear, that's not just a, a nice pastor who cares deeply about you and wants you to be happy today. That's God's word. So Peter is giving us courage. He is, he's making us confident so that we can walk out these doors and honor Christ as Lord in our hearts without fear of what man can do because we're confident that God is sovereign and powerful and providentially ruling in our lives. Amen. Father, I pray that this congregation would not compromise. God, help us in these days of intimidation, of pressure, of unbelief, of idolatry. Lord, I pray, Father, that this congregation and these people here this morning watching via live stream, those gathered with us this morning, all of our guests, Lord, I pray that we would be men and women who stand firm for the cause of Jesus Christ. We want to honor you, Lord, because you are worthy to be honored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.